Welcome back to Generation Zedia. We're so excited to get back into all things media and pop culture for our generation. Please welcome my co-host for this episode, Nick Perello. What's going on? Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, today we're going to be talking about movies of 2022. Uh, just, you know, ev- the whole the whole shebang. We have a massive list to go through. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. All right. So hi, everyone. I'm uh, My name's Nick Perello. I'm a sophomore credit, third year film student. Yeah, I love all things pop culture, movies, music, literally everything. I just love art. Uh, like 20 minutes ago, I was reading a book on Leonardo da Vinci. I just like, I just love stories, stuff like that. So what are the best stories you've seen so far this year in movies? Uh, this year, when it comes, I mean, you know, usually the best stories come during Oscar season, uh, usually with, it comes out mid-October, late, um, early November, I mean. But right now we have, there, there's a there's a good amount of really quality stuff to go through. Some of, the, some of my fra- uh, favorites that I've seen so far, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, which I don't think you've uh, seen I haven't yet. seen it, but I know it was like the movie to watch this year, oh, and yeah. I just haven't had the time to watch it. But movies like multiverse movies are so in right now, which is super fascinating. Oh, yeah. Because we also had like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness this year. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another one that I'm missing. I know Spider-Man was Spider-Man. Uh, that came out last ago. year, but yeah. still, like movies like that are super in right now and i think it's interesting because it's like we're all looking at what could have happened if covid didn't happen right and i think that's the huge reason why we're focusing on stuff like that it's kind of like a bounce back from like we just had this massive lull in 2020 2021 and now we're going you know bigger than ever with with scope but yeah everything everywhere all at once is i think that's my favorite uh so far this year it's been so long i saw it in theaters in like march so i i can't remember everything about it but it was you know every part that i saw was super like high quality super ambitious and you know some sometimes ambition can lead down a terrible they build themselves up too high and then it just comes crashing down because they don't know how to follow through with it i think a big example of that this year has been thor love and thunder Mm. like taika waititi came in really hot to the mcu with Thor Ragnarok came out in like I think 2017 yeah yeah. and he everyone loved that movie like that's my favorite MCU movie I think that's mine too and he followed up by honing in on the parts that people liked about it which is the comedy and the stylistic aspects of it but he went in too hard and Thor Love and Thunder is very camp it's over the top but so much over the top that it degrades itself in a way and it also i haven't uh seen it fully but i've read a little bit about it but i know there's like they have super campy taika waititi just craziness and then they also follow it up with like a cancer scene and like something really depressing that just doesn't mesh together i think that they could have made the scenes mesh so much better Hmm. like there it is a little jarring but like Thor Ragnarok also had those moments where, like, there were heavy moments in that movie. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you'll have her dying of cancer and there's, like, a screaming goat. Like, as yeah. in the, like, 2012 memes, meme. It's also funny to see how this one movie just completely kind of, like, ruins Taika Waititi's credibility. And just, like, I remember seeing that thing with Vogue where he's just kind of, like... He was kind of insulting the VFX artists and like he was probably drunk out of his mind, but whatever. He was just 
And then it comes out that VFX artists are already not getting paid yeah. like anything. It, be, I, Taika Waititi, I don't think he has completely lost his credibility because like he had Jojo Rabbit in 2019, mm-hmm. and like that's a, one of the most amazing movies that came out that year, in my opinion. It was very good, yeah. And but at the same time, it's like he's not. I guarantee you that they don't like working with him. And I don't think he likes working for them either. Like, yeah. he was just brought on because Thor Ragnarok did so well. And he's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. Well, you're making me do it with, like, uh, you know, going back to the comics and making one with, like, Natalie Portman as, like, Thor now. Like, I don't want it. Like, it, you can tell he doesn't want to do it. I don't think it necessarily had to do with Natalie Portman because he said he really liked working with her and he tried to get her into his Star Wars movie that's mm-hmm. coming out in the future, even though, you know, she's already been in Star Wars. But I think that he was given a little bit too much freedom with the movie. Whereas, like, I think other directors weren't getting that freedom. And But I think that is the one strong suit of the MCU right now is that they're letting their directors be a little bit more stylistic. Mm-hmm. But they're missing out on other things. Like, Multiverse of Madness script was not good, in my opinion. Like, it was difficult to watch. And, like, I rewatched it a few months after it came out on Disney+, Plus, and I was like, what is this? Like, and now they're letting the same men who wrote that write Secret Wars. So I'm like, I don't know what's up. Remind me, what's uh, Secret Wars again? I've just been completely, like, out of it with Marvel, because I, I stopped caring. I know people are like, I stopped watching after Endgame. I stopped a long time ago. But, like, at the same time, like, there's been, like, over 20 projects that have come out in the past two years or something crazy like that. Which is way too much. Which is way oversaturating the market. Like, there are, there's another Marvel movie coming out this year, Wakanda Forever, which I am very excited to see. But at the same time, it's like, you can't keep up with it anymore. And the writing has downgraded in quality because they're putting out so much content. The thing about it is, I don't necessarily think it's because they're putting i mean it is a problem they're putting out too much content or saturating it but at the same time they're saturating stuff with like mediocrity which there are other ways you can do it like much better like two examples i have the boys and invincible i don't know if you've seen or heard uh, of either I've of them i've heard of both but i haven't like watched them okay so i this this makes more sense for the boys uh, since it just came out um last season came out recently the boys is basically if j- the Justice League were all terrible people and set in like yeah. reality, like in the world we live in today, where they're money hu- money hungry. You know, they're doing brand deals. They're all about like power. They're what uh, like Marvel movies today are doing is so by the numbers at this point that it's stopped becoming interesting. It was yeah, interesting. It's by the numbers, yeah. but at the same time, like we used to get one or two MC movies a year, mm-hmm. and now we're getting three or four on top of TV shows TV shows Marvel is putting out too much content but some companies are actually having difficulty having the money to release movies right like there was a news that came out earlier in September that Warner Brothers only had enough money to release two films for the last few months of the year right which they chose to be don't worry darling directed by Livy Wilde and then Black Adam starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson which is so insane that this company literally has doesn't have enough money to release films when their whole business model they're trying to shift towards is putting movies back at theaters. Exactly. And all I can really say to that is 
you know, with the quality that they're putting out, like they're they're in, you know, they basically like created the DCEU. And I'll just say, it is what it is. You know, they're not making the like up to standard quality as other things are. They're kind of falling behind. That's what you sign up for. If you're not making money, you have to adapt to it. And like they really hoped that Don't Worry Darling would be that Oscar bait moment that they wanted. But so much drama happens surrounding that movie, which we don't have enough time to get into. But it's very interesting, though. The movie was solely marketed based. Well, accidentally marketed based off of all this drama. Mm -hmm. And then the movie came out and it got like 39 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) It was not great. I didn't I haven't seen it but like I've heard that like it's just bizarre. I saw it a couple days ago and it's not as bad as everyone says it is but it's just such a mess and Harry Styles was terrible and that that was probably a big reason why it got so like panned so heavily because he's like one of the biggest stars like in the world right now and he's being cast to the forefront and he's just but, like, it's interesting because it. I've seen re- reviews of My Policeman, which is the second movie he's putting out this year, mm-hmm. and he's gotten good reviews in that. Like, people are really? saying he was really good in it. I haven't heard of that one. Yet. I think that it's a mix of the script being weird mm-hmm. because this isn't the original script for Don't Worry Darling. The original script was Olivia Wilde bought the script and basically rehauled it. There was actually news that came out this week, and it, she was basically treating it as an intellectual property. But it wasn't an intellectual property. It was a completely finished script that someone had done mm-hmm. that she remade into whatever she wanted, which yeah. coincidentally also included her being cast in the film, which I find really interesting. Yeah. All I can really say to that is that poor writer who put their heart and soul into that. And then Olivia Wilde bought it for probably not much and then just made it into whatever she created. She keeps, she kept like, pushing it as this like feminist movement situation but in reality it's literally men taking women hostage and putting them into uh virtual reality like that's not feminist Mm. well counterpoint would it be feminist if it's about the woman kind of realizing her situation and then kind of taking that and escaping from those like binds I mean, like, I could see why that would be considered feminist, but at the same time, it's like writing a story where a woman's in a world, like, trapped in artificial reality by a man, and, like... It's not seen as, like, a pro thing. Like, that virtual reality is, like, oh, is I know seen as torture. Yeah, so I, 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 I would say that would be kind of feminist. I, you know, just because it's a bad thing doesn't I, mean it's, like, pro that. I just don't think it's as feminist as it, she's pushing it to be, if That's that fair. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things are are kind of subject to that, where they they build it up to be like this, like this, uh, f- you know, pillar for feminism. When in reality, it's not as clear cut as they, you know, advertise it to be. It also reminds me of when they were doing marketing for Thor: Love and Thunder. Sorry mm-hmm. to go back to that. that was fun. But they were advertising it as super gay, <laughs> and like that's the exact <laughs> words they used. Taika Waititi and Natalie Portman both described this movie as super gay. There is really not much that's gay about it. Like, Korg has one scene where he has a baby with uh, another man of his species. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, Valkyrie is queer. But it's not... There's nothing... It's a straight-centered film. 
like the main relationship is between a man and a woman. Yeah, it's not about Thor finding himself or anything like that. That's not super, super gay. I can't get over that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just like it's kind of like they're grasping for straws to find some audience to to try and like make money off of. But while we can talk about all day about like what we didn't like about the movies of this year, what are some movies that you haven't seen yet but you really wanted to see? Uh, I have a couple of those, um, but they're kind of under the radar. I follow a lot of people who like have gone to this year's uh, Cannes Film Festival. Some of them I really want to see based on the director's, um, you know, previous work. So I don't know if you've heard of The Whale uh, with uh, Brendan Fraser, uh, made by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, Darren Aronofsky, who is a I. Everything I've seen, I've loved him in, or I loved what he's created. Um, so, like, The Wrestler, which is pretty much... It's very similar to what The Whale is shaping up to be, being a, a comeback for this actor. Banshee of Inisherin. It's oh, very I've heard, Yes, I've heard of Yeah, it, very Irish. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but it's uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew McDonough, I think it is. And he made three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and... In Bruges with Colin Farrell, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, what do you What do you know about it? Uh, I don't know much about it, but um, I like I've seen that it's like gonna probably be award winning. Yeah, I think so too. At, at the very least, nominated. I know his stuff doesn't really get like. I know Three Billboards won a couple things, but it was mainly just for like acting. But I, I really hope this one goes uh, above and beyond and sweeps and. The last one that it really had my eye on was the this new Pinocchio movie, which I know there's a couple. There's been this is so a, many. I, I believe you're talking about the Guillermo del Toro. Yes, one. yes, that's the but one. But there's two other Pinocchio movies that have come out this year that were all <laughs> both terrible. So funny. <laughs> I haven't seen either of the other Pinocchio movies, Me but neither. I have heard they weren't good. There's there's like a dozen Pinocchio movies now. Yeah, another movie that I think that people was like a weird choice to put out in the first place was Lightyear. Mm. I didn't see Lightyear. Me but neither. And I don't really want I to. I loved the Toy Story movies and like the whole concept of that movie is just like weird. It's like they're like, retconning. It, I don't think so much it's retconning because they explain it. They like literally have like a title card in the beginning I believe that explains that this is the movie Andy saw in theaters that made him want the Buzz Lightyear toy and that Tim Allen is basically the crappy voice actor version of Chris Evans, which I find really funny. <laughs> but people didn't go see that movie because the concept was so confusing. Yeah. Whereas they could have spent all that money that they put into Lightyear into like an original property. It seemed very cash grabby. Yeah, it it did, and like which sucks because I love Chris Evans. And like if they had put out like a regular pix like a non cash grabby Pixar movie with Chris Evans starring. I would have been in one of the seats in the theater seeing it, mm -hmm. but I didn't. Honestly, every year that passes with Pixar, I've become less and less interested. Like I, I've heard really good things about Soul, and that's one that I really want to watch. But the rest of them have been. I yeah. T Turning Red's Pixar, right? I think, I think so. Yeah, I really liked Turning Red. Like I know people like weren't so sure about it at first, mm -hmm. but I watched it with my mom over spring break, and I really liked it. Like it was almost refreshing to have like a new property brought into mm -hmm. Pixar and like May is just such a f adorable and endearing character yeah 
but at the same time like i can see why it's like most pixar movies are directed at everybody like they're meant for whole families to watch right whereas this one felt very centered on teenage girls but at the same time i think telling teenage girl stories is very important because they aren't usually told and if they are they're not really told for an audience that will sit down and watch them as like a family yeah and i think stories like that can be pretty universal with like like you know look at like ratatouille or wally you know it's not very very much directed at anybody you know you don't have to be a rat or a <laughs> a robot to watch that and be like Oh, I really like that. I really like the journey he's going on. You know, I feel for these characters. What I'll be interested to see is they announced this year that they're doing a sequel to Inside Out, which oh, okay. is been lauded as one of Pixar's best, most original films, mm-hmm. which I 100% agree with. But I'll be interested to see what they're doing with that. Because I believe several of the actors who played the emotions aren't returning either. I'm like scared skeptical but a little optimistic about that because i know i know pixar's track record when it comes to sequels and besides like inside i'm um, sorry um besides the incredibles um or no what am i thinking of toy story that's yeah, Mindy it Kaling and bill Hader aren't coming back oh i see because the, uh they were offered two percent of the salary of any <laughs> polar <laughs> <laughs> yeah wrap it up they're not coming uh but um yeah, besides like Toy Story 2, though a lot of Pixar sequels are very, you know, just run of the mill going by the success of the first one. So I'm not terribly like clamoring to see whatever they have to offer for Inside Out, but if they, you know, if they come out with like a masterpiece everyone's talking about it, I might check it out, but as of right now, I don't really see a huge reason to buy a ticket to see that, but I'm more interested in their like their new IPs. I still haven't seen Luca, but that's one that I really want to watch. Coco was great. Um, oh, yes. I, I love Coco. And I, I still can't get over Ratatouille, which is, like, my one of my favorite movies ever. We only have a few months left of 2022. What movies are you most excited to see to come out of these last few months? Um. Well, the ones that I've talked about that haven't really come out yet, Whale, Banshee of Inishir, and uh, Pinocchio. But ones that have already uh, come out, some of the ones I really want to see. I've heard nothing but good things about Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the Nick Cage movie. It looks hilarious. I love that scene where they're just sitting there and crying to Paddington 2. One of the most, like, relatable scenes ever. I'm also looking forward to Weird Al, the Yankovic story. Okay. (laughs) I didn't know that was happening. So basically... Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al and mm-hmm. it's like a parody of all the biopics, Oscar bait biopics that have come out in the past few oh, years. Oh, I see. Like they literally released a poster and it's the exact same poster as Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> but it's Weird Al. <laughs> and it's a Roku original movie, which I think is so interesting mm. because these streaming only movies have been some of my favorite movies that have come out recently. I, yeah. I like Turning Red was streaming only. Weird Al is streaming only. Um, Like a lot of these movies I first saw on streaming services now, which is also a testament to COVID still being around and still being difficult Mm -hmm. to get out into the theaters. But it's also so expensive to see movies. Like the only exception this year has been the $3 movie day at the beginning of September, which was awful. So I went and saw Mm Spider-Man because I wanted to see the extra footage they had added to it. And the theater was packed, which I expected. It's three dollars, whatever. They like there were preteens running around screaming 
like people were talking like super loud like it was just like completely ruined theater experience yeah like i see movies in theaters more than the average person my younger brother works at a movie theater so i can sometimes get free tickets yeah you got that and so like i i saw most of my movies this year in theaters but when it's more accessible it's such a worse experience which sucks because movie like people deserve to be able to see movies in theaters Mm -hmm. like they were made to be seen yeah uh to add on to that i do not trust the general public when it comes to movie theaters because i've had way too many instances where just the general public make the experience so much worse with like you're you're trying to watch it and you know that's on me for trying to seriously sit down and watch uh whatever the latest spider-man movie is but then you have like 10 year old kids like in the back just yelling and then every five minutes when something happens in it someone like starts clapping that okay that brings something up that i want to talk about marvel movies have added applause breaks in their movies like if you watch the scene where andrew garfield is revealed in spider-man no way home there's a pause where no one says anything and he's just looking he's at just them. stand yeah standing and it's clearly meant for people to be clapping in the theaters and th- which is yeah. so funny when you're watching it at home and you're like what is this <laughs> and that would be fine if that was the only thing but in i all right i counted my theater clapped eight times watching the uh the newest spider-man movie they even clapped remember that scene where like he saved uh the the woman or the and she was like wow Oh, the MIT lady? Yeah. It was like, you know, just from your performance just now, I'm going to give you a full ride to MIT. People started clapping in the theater. That's excessive. It was ridiculous. I I wouldn't say my theater was that excited, but... (laughs) It's like like, they've never seen a movie before. But, like, people, like, started clapping when it re-released in September. I was like, you know what's happening. (laughs) You've seen it before. (laughs) You don't need this. But that's, that's why I like seeing smaller indie movies. Because I know the people like me will go and see it who know how to like actually watch it, and you don't get, uh, you know, a, a family of three, uh, walking in, you know, to watch like, like a serious movie like Silence, like a Scorsese movie. You know, you get people who genu- genuinely want to, you know, engross themselves in this film so that's why i love like a24 and stuff at the like that. same time i think there's some movies that like aren't good to watch in theaters so i got a ticket to see elvis over the summer oh yeah i saw it in theaters and too. i was watching it and like i i got this ticket for free and i was like i thought about leaving halfway through this movie was too long it was cut so weird like it just it felt like you were having a heart attack the yeah. whole time you were watching no it. i'll be honest with you that movie was a nightmare Austin Butler's performance is fantastic. It was very good. It, Tom Hanks was something. <laughs> he was, you know, I'll say, I, you know what? I'm not going to mince words. He was so bad. I hated his performance. Like, it was terrible. <laughs> I could not get over his accent one bit. That movie, like, honestly, the accent, I didn't have, I was like, Tom Hanks is being over the top, whatever. That's fine. Let him have his moment. <laughs> it was the editing that got me. Like, it, w- it felt like a montage the whole two hour, two and a half hours. And that's the thing. I didn't know going in, but then I looked at, I saw the director come up, seeing directed by Baz Luhrmann. I was like, that's why it was such a nightmare. This guy, every <laughs> single movie he makes, it's, it's that for three hours. Moulin Rouge is like the worst one. 
There's like God. the Great Gatsby, which I thought was a little much, and that was like Wait, his most tame. Wait, the 2012 Great Gatsby, the one with DiCaprio? Yep, that was Baz Luhrmann. I actually Lerman. like that one, so I don't know. See, that was his, that was Baz Luhrmann being least Baz Luhrmann, oh. and I was like, this isn't bad, but it still has its elements of. It's too. It still has Baz. It still has some Baz in it. What are the few movies that you're most excited for, other than the ones we've talked about going forward? I mean, the ones that I've talked about are pretty much on the top of my list. Um, oh, uh, one that I really, really want to see. I don't think you've ever heard of it. Um, it's called Decision to Leave. Um, it is directed by Park Chan-wook, who made Old Boy, uh, which is one of my favorite films. And, I mean, everything he does, I, I love. From what I've seen, um, it's about this detective who... Uh, finds this case where uh, a man falls from a ledge and his wife is like a prime suspect in it like uh, like all the pieces fit together you know she's she should be like uh locked up and questioned however he starts falling for her and starts like messing with the investigation uh just to just to try and get with her and it's it's perfect weird park chan wook stuff that I absolutely adore. So um, that's that's one on my like top list for one I want to see. It's probably gonna get nothing. Like three people are gonna see it, but you know, it, it's it seems like quality. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Glass Onion, the Knives Out prequel, mm-hmm. or not prequel, sequel. I think it's gonna be really difficult to follow up the original. I've heard it's good from like the um, I think it was at TIFF. Yeah, but the whole re new cast mm-hmm. is going to be an interesting thing for me because obviously we have Daniel Craig who's fa- returning as Benoit Blanc, but a lot of what I liked about the original is the supporting cast. Like I yeah. love Chris Evans in it. I love Jamie Lee Curtis and Anna De Armas, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be interested to see like how they keep a similar tone to it while also making it a new story. Right. You know? I think they'll do a good job with that. I I think, I mean, the cast that they got is is pretty top tier. I mean, they got uh, Edward Norton, I think. Um, I'm kind of blanking on the rest. But, you know, as long as they keep that same, that same level of kind of, like, camp mixed with, like, genuine serious moments, I, I think they'll, they'll have a, it'll have a strong chance of succeeding. It may not may not Ethan be Ethan Hawke's in it. That's good. I love I, Ethan I immediately Hawk. have more faith in this movie now. Oh yeah. Um, Catherine Hans in it. Dave mm-hmm. Bautista, Leslie Odom Jr. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some interesting names in here that I'm excited to see, but I still am like, oh, like, is it gonna have like, am I gonna love it as much as I love the original? You know? Yeah, I me, mean, it's probably not, but it's. I think it's going to have that same like energy and at the very least it's going to be like hey you know knives out what's good it's going to have that same knives out energy so you know it'll be it'll be good it'll be enjoyable so overall how do you think 2022 was for cinema for talking right now with things being released i'm going to be i'm going to play devil's advocate not great but there's always a chance for you know an uptick and I know the first the first half of the year is never like the golden moment 
of of the year for movies like oscar season comes like at the end for a reason thinking about this year in comparison to other years and what we've gotten for those like like 2019 for example uh but in the post-covid world i think this one was one of the better ones out of like 2020 2021 i think this year had a lot of highs and lows like Mm -hmm. we had morbius for one like fantastic you could say that incredible um but you also have movies like spencer and the batman which were fantastic Mm -hmm. and are just a pleasure to watch shout out to Kristen stewart and robert pattinson shout out but (laughs) this like this year has been super interesting for film and Mm. i'm really hoping that things even out a little bit more yeah like where we don't have as many of these lows that are caused by weird production scandals and like budget cuts and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and we can get back to like making movies that people enjoy even if they aren't necessarily good interesting is the is the key word for that because there's a there's been a lot of movies which might not be good might even be terrible but it's it's a non-stop like a roller coaster of just it's just keeping your attention like even like a couple weeks ago I don't even know when it released, like Blonde, which has such a huge oh, thing about Oh, that came out um, like literally last week or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. I saw it. It makes it makes sense all the all the controversy around it, but that's neither here nor there. It's just been a huge, like, it's been a very interesting year, and I I wanted to keep that up. It's very entertaining for me. So it's entertaining, but at the same time, like, we're not focusing on movies we're focusing on the drama the spectacle around it so thanks for chatting with me nick for this week's episode of generation zedia i had a great time talking with you about all of these movies same to you it's been a pleasure i I hope to uh talk to you again we can keep talking about movies thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next time to talk about all things media and pop culture